Well, hello, everybody. Happy New Year and welcome to the first podcast of 2019. It's great to be back with you. I hope you had a a good festive period, that you did all the things that you wanted and needed to do and that you're now settling down and thinking, right, what's 2019 going to bring? Because I think for most of us at this time of the year, you do tend to sort of look forwards rather than back and think to yourself, okay, what am I going to do this year? Where I want to go, where I want to be this time in 12 months time and how can I achieve that? In fact, my blog, my chatter blog this month is all about exactly that, sort of looking ahead and reflecting on the various things that you might like to change or might like to to do differently this year. One of the things that Mark Leverage Magic is going to have is a brand new website. Now, I haven't had a new website probably for at least a decade. And um, my website is quite intricate, particularly the eClub Pro element of it, where there are a lot of pages. So I decided earlier last year that um, I wanted to make a new website and that this new website would be very much centred on the eClub Pro and the material that goes into it. These days, most of my creative energy goes into the material for the eClub Pro members. And there are all sorts of great advantages of being a member. And I decided that really this, instead of being just a a sidebar on my website this should be the core this should be at the center and then other things should come off that so while I will still have the facility on the website for non-members to buy things a lot of the attention and a lot of the emphasis on the site itself is going to be for eClub Pro there'll be some new benefits of being members and I'm really excited about it it's taken ages to get to the point where we're not quite ready yet Um, But most of the construction of the site is pretty much done. And now we've got to the point where we need to put in the content. Uh, And that's the bit that is going to take a lot of the time. Because although we've already been working for six or seven months on this, now we've got to try and fill in all the material, particularly for eClub Pro, where there are there are almost 700 pages of contents for for, of content for eClub Pro members alone. And all of that has got to be transferred into the news the new website and all the links have to be made to work and so on so given everything else that I'm doing in my life um, it's a big project to be trying to run alongside it but I'm hoping that with within the first quarter of the year that the, the website will be able to launch and then I'll be able to once it's gone live I'll then be able to tinker with it and improve it as we go along so look out for that um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what you think of it. It's a, a much more modern design and uh, and hopefully it'll make being a member of eCloud Pro really pleasurable. But also for other people who just want to come and look at the site, you'll have many of the things that the current site has which you'll still be able to access. In the current issue of Magic Scene, that's number 84 for January 2019, Um, I've written an article about magic conventions and I think it's been fairly evident to those of us who've been attending conventions for years that the traditional standard, if you like, format for a magic convention is starting to get, well, not even starting, has for some time been a bit tired. Now, there are notable exceptions. I mean, Blackpool, obviously, is still probably the biggest convention in the world and it does still adhere to basically a standard format but the reason it succeeds is not only because it's been going for so long and it has such a big history but also simply because of its size and scale 
there is nothing quite like it in terms of the, its its size, the number of top acts that it can attract and the number of people who therefore attend. But if you take Blackpool out of the equation and look at the other conventions in the UK, some are struggling, some have gone out of existence altogether and others don't look like they're going to last a lot longer, quite frankly. And you sort of think, just well, does this mean that conventions are going to come to an end? Well, no, I don't think it will. And in fact, it isn't, because if you look carefully at what the sort of the magic programme for the year is, you'll notice that, yes, there are still one or two more traditional magic conventions going on, but a lot of the events have become increasingly uh, targeted, if you like, in terms of the magic and the people, therefore, that the magic will appeal to. I mean, the session convention, which takes place in January and which is run by um, Vanishing Inc., well, that's a good example, isn't it? They have a day of mentalism called the event, immediately followed by two days of close-up magic called the session. It's targeted at mentalists. It's targeted specifically at close-up magicians. It's not trying to deal with entertainers who are interested in stage magic or interested in, in children's entertainment. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It says, no, go away. We're not interested in that. This is what we're interested in. And there are a number of events like that. There are business events. There are uh, where people are giving in small, almost tutorial or workshop type events where people are imparting knowledge about how to promote yourself and how to run your magic business. Then there are other other events that are specifically tailored entirely to, for children's entertainers. And so this idea of making a general magic convention, which tries to appeal to everybody, is being replaced by much more specific conventions or events that are targeted at a particular niche group. So that looks like that's the way that things are going to go. But there's another model again, and this is the thing I wrote the article about on which it really inspired me to write it in the first place, was um, an event that I went to in November called Magic Clips. Magic Clips was originally um, the name of a website run by Gary Jones. Actually, not a website, a Facebook page, sorry, run by Gary Jones, in which he used the Facebook page to get people to gather somewhere they started off their first event was in a pub and you just get together there's there's no fee to attend and a few people did lectures and it was very informal and very sociable and it was a tremendous success and since then there have been several other um, magic clips events and I went to the latest one which was the one just before Christmas in November as I say which took place in um, Fleet in Hampshire and it was really interesting. I was interested in this as a model because it was it was not a convention in the sense that it was very formal, although it did have a few mini lectures which were scheduled. They weren't timed specifically, well, at three o'clock this is going to happen. You just knew that in the course of the middle, mid to late afternoon and into the evening there would be, say, four or five lectures. Each of the lectures only lasts up to half an hour. And I think this is good too because... Um, when you are going to an event, if you get, I was going to say stuck, if you you end up listening to a lecturer for, a, let's say, an hour, an hour and a half, and he really doesn't appeal to you, that's a very long time out of your day. And on a day like uh, Magic Clips want to put on, they want it to be very informal and sociable. And if there are too many large chunks of time taken out of the day for formal events, then that kind of destroys the ambience that they're trying to go for. 
Anyway, so I went along. I got there just just before lunchtime, and um, there was already some magicians there. And we sat, and we little informal groups formed, and some magic was being done, and a lot of magic discussion was going on, and people were eating and drinking, and it was great because you suddenly realised that here were, were some people, and, and bearing in mind this took place on a Tuesday, so it's not a, not at a weekend. It was on a Tuesday that these people either have to be retired or they have to be pros perhaps and um, doing nothing during the day that day Um, or they are people like one guy I met who I said well you know how come you're here he said well I just took a day's holiday took a day off work to come because I really like this event he liked the idea of going and was prepared to take a day off to do it so that's interesting too isn't it so basically everybody sort of sits and you chat and, and we had a group of about five or six of us and we sat there for an hour and a half and the range of topics that were covered was incredible. And you, you st- as you, people were putting their, uh, their opinions in and discussing things, you realise that there were some of us who had a lot of experience. There were others who had virtually none. Or if they had some, they only had um, a very low level of experience or knowledge. But it didn't matter. Nobody cared because we were all just chatting and just having a good time. Um, I mean, the lectures were fine. But for me, that wasn't the strength of the day. And I think it isn't for most people who go. It's the fact that you get an opportunity, which you often don't get at magic clubs, where, again, the formal part of the evening stops people from socialising and just generally chatting. And these magic clip events um, allow you, and it doesn't cost you to go, so you just turn up and you just have a really chilled out and relaxed day. So it's a Richard John... Uh, is one of the main people, along with Tom Brooks, who organised the one that I went to. And he, Richard's been on it right from the beginning. And uh, he's clearly very excited about this this sort of model. And, he, and in fact, he was telling me that although they, this Magic Clips event, this was one, they hadn't had one for a year or so, and he would like to make them slightly more regular, a couple of times a year, one every six months. And he would also like to, he was saying to me, move uh, to venues perhaps in the Midlands to minimise perhaps the travelling somewhere central where people is less travelling for the majority of people. They'll never be huge events. There's ne- there is no budget to run them because nobody pays anything. Um, and so it, it's always going to be limited in scope. But as a, as a way of getting magicians from all over the place to come together to discuss magic and to enjoy each other's company, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So if you see Magic Clips um, being advertised either on Facebook or they also advertise on or mention it on Magic Week, which is where I heard of it, then think about going along. I think you'd really enjoy it. Last month, I was booked along with a couple of other magicians to entertain at a very large function on a military base. And it was their Christmas party. And uh, the three of us, we went round the tables. And then after that, we had to do half an hour or so of informal mix and mingle strolling magic. And there were various rooms and bars and, and, and so on for the, um, for the people to go to. And we were just strolling around and doing magic in there. And I was with one group and there was, there was a lady there, a middle-aged lady there. And um, she was clearly one of these people who, for whom the secret of how magic, work, how magic works is really, really important. And she was constantly trying to catch me out. I was doing a, my walkabout coin box routine for her that uses an Ikito box. And I let her examine it and she examined that in the coin. And the routine's got several stages to it. Something happens. And each time that something happened, she grabbed the boxes off me and, and was putting the lid on and was banging the coin against it. And 
and so on. So she, and she was really quite hyper about the the fact that she wanted to work out how this was done. And I sort of getting just got to the end of the trick, and then she she started to to grab my sleeve and shove her hand up my sleeve and open my jacket up. And I said, "Whoa, whoa, excuse me, do you mind?" Well, I want to find out how this trick's done. You've got, you must have something hidden somewhere. I'm going to find it. And it made me think. Now, this you don't get this very often, but you do occasionally get people who think it's okay just because you're the the jolly entertainer to sort of, in a very mild way, physically assault you in their attempts to find out how you do your tricks. Um, I, I mean, I've had on occasion somebody put their hand into my pocket to find out what I got in my pocket and try and grab some of the props and of course this is one of the the dilemmas that you face as a strolling or table hopping magician you are incredibly close to your audience and when that audience has got people in it who, who've had something to drink and their normal sort of feelings of uh, decorum if you like have been reduced drastically they do things that they wouldn't normally do I mean you can't imagine can you walking along the street and somebody walking up to you and starting shoving their hands up your sleeves and pulling your jacket up and out and rummaging around in your pockets. Well, no, of course you wouldn't. Well, apparently that's what is okay when you're the magician. And I thought to myself, you know, this, this. I mean, I stopped the woman from from doing it, you know. And I thought, I'm not going to just stand there like a mug and let you um, sort of rummage through all my jacket and everything, even though there was nothing for her to find to do with the trick. But she didn't know that, of course, and so she thought it was okay. But it was just the attitude that she had that it was okay to do this. Well, uh, I've got to find out how the trick's done. Oh, okay. Well, carry on then. I don't know whether you've ever had this experience. Um, I I know I've spoken to one or two friends of mine who who have done a lot of close-up magic, and, and they've had a similar experience on occasions. It's not something that happens all the time, of course, but it is something that happens occasionally. And I think it's really bad that somebody should feel they could do that. But it is just one of the dangers. And gosh, isn't it a danger? Being rummished by a woman. Dear, oh dear. It's one of the dangers that we run when we do strolling magic. I first started selling magic back in 1981 on a full-time basis. And in those days, looking back on it now, magic dealers were incredibly, as a general rule anyway, incredibly unsophisticated in the way that they marketed their products. There were some bigger dealers, such as Harry Stanley's Unique Magic Studio in in the 60s and 70s, who who were particularly good, I think, and Ken Brook, for that matter, in the 80s, who were particularly good at marketing themselves. But generally speaking, magic dealers, the way that they packaged their products, the way that they presented themselves at conventions, was really incredibly amateurish. When you now compare that to the levels of sophistication that that are put into the development and the manufacture, the packaging and the marketing of magic these days. And it's incredible the progress that's been made. And I think there are several companies um, in the world who, who are making a very, very good job of marketing what they have in a modern way. And an example of that, I think, would be Vanishing Inc. I think their their business model is is fascinating. It's It's basically... It's all online. That's how they do most virtually all of their advertising. And it's although it's a big business, which is, of course, split over two continents, you've got the American end and you've got the British end, the combination of Joshua Jay and Andy Gladwin has meant that, and by 
keeping these two two figures and two personalities very much to the front of the business, it feels like you're dealing with them personally, even though most of the time, of course, you're not. But their marketing, when they write the emails that you receive, when you read the copy for, that goes into the publicity for their for their effects or their marketed products generally, when you read the stuff that's on their website, it has a, a very consistent personal feel to it. And I think people really like that because you feel, well, it's Josh and Andy. And if Josh and Andy say something is good, then it must be. And, and I think that's brilliant. That's a really, I've always, in my business, always uh, wanted to give a personal touch to everything that I did. But it was easier for me because I have always been and always will be a small business. Whereas I think Vanishing Inc. is one of these much bigger businesses that, are, that exist these days, where they've also realised that being personal with the customers, being honest with the customers, if you make a mistake, you say, sorry, you know, that was wrong, actually. Um, I think that's very refreshing. And, uh, and it makes people, I think, want to do business with them. You know, they don't sell absolutely every trick that comes out. They try to be more selective about the ones that they that they produce. They've also become one of the leading publishers of magic books at a time when we are told that nobody wants to read magic books anymore. Not true, because uh, Vanishing Inc. are producing consistently either hardback or softback books, and they must be selling them because if they they wouldn't produce them if they weren't. So it's great that we have one of the major manu uh, major dealers manufacturing and publishing books. Because otherwise, I think there is a danger that apart from the odd individual publishing their own book, that there wouldn't be perhaps as much printed material out there as there used to be, which I think is a great pity. And then, of course, they, they expand out into events. Um, they, they run the session convention, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast. They have Magifest over in the United States. And now that I notice that they're, they're just launching a, a much smaller workshoppy type seminar event. Uh, as well all these things very personal very different and and all centered on good magic sold in what appears to be certainly to my way of thinking a very ethical and good way the way they keep in contact with their customers all the time through emails i mean for my personal taste that i think they send too many emails I get one a day, at least one a day from them. And I think that's actually too many. However, having said that, they are keeping in contact with you and you can always unsubscribe if you don't want to hear from them. So, you know, the frequency is one that they feel works for them. And it means that when you do want to buy something, all of those dealers that you never hear from, unless you have a particular liking for another dealer, you're more likely to think about Vanishing Ink because you keep hearing from them. So... Well done to them. Um, I think they, they, they've done incredibly well. Uh, they've worked unbelievably hard to get where they have got to so far. And I don't think they're finished yet, quite frankly, because I'm sure there's plenty more that the two of them can cook up between them. There's a train of thought that exists amongst some magicians that you have to be careful with your methods for magic. Because if you make the, the method absolutely and completely unfathomable to the lay public then they won't actually believe in it it's called the too perfect theory that if if you don't have any form of explanation that the lay person can put to a trick 
then they will just make the assumption. This is particularly true, of course, on television, where camera tricks or camera use, selective viewing and so on, is always suspected by lay people anyway. But there's a general, even in general performance, I think sometimes people say, well, if you're doing a mental effect, if you get it 100% correct every single time, that's not as good as being slightly off from time to time. It shows more that, you know, there's, there's an element of truth about you saying, well, I've been trying to read your mind, didn't quite pick it up, it was a red card, it was a heart. Five of hearts? Oh, it was the four of hearts. Well, well, that was pretty close. And uh, and there are people I know who, who think this is this is absolutely right. And I'm not sure I totally agree with that because it seems to me that lay people, those who are interested in method for a start, now, there are people who are not. I think there are a lot of lay people who couldn't care less how the tricks are done. As long as you're entertaining, as long as you've given them something to think about that they've enjoyed, then how you achieved it, they don't give it a second thought. But there are other people, of course, who are very interested in method and who are suspicious of what you do and who want to try to work out what the methodology might be. And I think for those people... If they can get some sort of explanation, no matter how screwball it might be, no matter how if they actually thought about it logically, it doesn't apply. If they think that it applies to your trick, then in their eyes, your trick has been diminished. So a very simple example, if you take a coin and put it in one hand and both your hands are left empty, if a spectator thinks, well, where where the heck's that gone? They go back to the old chestnut of, oh, that just went up your sleeve, mate. Now, it didn't, or if it did, it was invisible, but it probably didn't. But for that spectator now, and it's no good you saying, no, it didn't. So for that spectator, the fact that he can explain that so easily, in some ways, nah, nah, just went up your sleeve. Nah, nah, I I know he did that. That's all that was. Yeah, no, I could have done that. And there are people like that who who seem to be take some sort of pleasure in the fact that they give this simplistic explanation. And, and sometimes there are people who will do that while you're performing. They will be talking to others in a loud voice about how they think you're doing the tricks, which is really irritating because nine and a half times out of ten they're wrong anyway. But they think that they've got some sort of insider knowledge and they want to show off. And if they can give some simplistic explanation like it's up your sleeve job done as far as they're concerned they don't have to think about it anymore so i think for us to to feel that if tricks are unfathomable they lose impact surely doesn't apply does it because for those people who want to give simplistic explanations um if there's nothing that they can think of in any way no matter how far-fetched to explain what you've just done then you have presented for them genuine magic, or as near as they're ever going to see anyway. So that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? And the fact that, you know, the too perfect theory would say, well, you you know, you've hit it 100% every time and it's therefore not as effective. I don't think it, it perhaps it holds. Now, it may be that for different types of magic, different rules apply. Maybe mentalism is different from, say, general magic. And with general magic... You could be perfect all the time because if a manipulator starts doing a manipulation act with thimbles, say, or billiard balls, and he occasionally drops one, um, that doesn't look very good. On the other hand, if a juggler trying a very difficult feat tries to juggle what seems like a ridiculous number of balls in the air and he drops one, 
then he thinks, oh dear, you know, this is how difficult it is. And then he eventually he achieves it. You could say, well, that's justified. So maybe it depends. With mentalism, the too perfect theory, yeah, maybe that applies. Maybe you should make it your prediction slightly off on occasions. General magic, perhaps not so much so. So what do you think? Do you ever in any way reduce the impact of a trick because you feel it's going to be too perfect if you don't? I'd like to finish this podcast by telling you um, a little story. It's a true story of something that happened to me um, a few years ago when I was booked by a lady to go along and entertain at her 60th birthday party. She'd invited 40 of her friends and uh, she'd hired a room in a local pub and I was due to go along and do some mix and mingle for them for about an hour. And when I got to the venue, um, she met me at the door and there were four long tables and there were about 10 people sitting around each of the tables. And she said to me, right, here are all my uh, my friends and family, she said. And um, so you're going to go from table to table, aren't you? I said, yes, yes, that's right. She said, oh, lovely. So, well, um, tell you what, um, would, I'm sitting over here. So um, would, do you want to come and start with, with my table? So I said, um, yeah, OK, fine. So I went over with her and she sat down in her chair. And she said, oh, everybody, everybody, this is Mark, my magician. He's going to entertain us. So I thought, well, I've got four tables and I've got an hour so it's about 15 minutes each table yeah okay that'll be fine so I started to do my stuff it was going fine did the usual sort of mix of tricks and I got to you know towards the end of 15 minutes I said well look, thanks very much everybody. I'm going to go and see some of your other guests now I said to her so uh, she said oh yes that's fine and she stood up and she said, I'll tell you what, um, why don't you come and see the... Now, this is my family sitting over here. And she took me by the hand and she took me over to the front. She said, everybody, everybody, this is Mark, my magician. And she sat down at the table. And I thought, hang on a minute. Um, she's just seen me do 15 minutes of magic. And now she's sitting at the second table. So I thought, well, I better not repeat any tricks because obviously she'll know what's coming. And that's kind of spoiled it, even though the rest of the people at the table haven't. So I thought, okay, so I, I set off and I started to do some different tricks and got through the 15 minutes. And I said, well, there you go. thank you very much for watching. She said, oh, good, lovely. Right, right. Um, I suppose that table over there is next, is it? I said, yeah, yeah, if you like. So let, come on then. She went over and she said, oh, everybody, this is Mark. He's come to entertain you now. He's done these two tables. He's come to show you some magic now. And blow me if she didn't sit down again. So now she's sitting for a third time to watch. I'm thinking... Right. Because, again, I thought, I, I don't want to repeat any magic because she's booked me. She's sitting there again. It just didn't feel right. Now, there's only so much magic that you carry on you, isn't there? And I had not anticipated that I would have to do such long sets without repeating a trick. I mean, you, you make the assumption, don't you, if there's 40 people and you're mixing and mingling or you're going from table to table, you can repeat some of the tricks. You might not repeat all of them, obviously, but you're going to repeat some of them. And that means you don't need to carry so much material. And it doesn't matter because obviously the people at the, the second table probably haven't heard or seen what you've done at the first table. But now this wasn't the case. Now, fortunately, uh, I have an extra man bag, a small bag, which fits in the palm of my hand, which I take with me. And it has extra material in it. And what I do is I take that bag and I, when I go into the room, I usually put it on a window ledge behind a curtain or I hide it somewhere so I don't have to carry it around. And so I said, well, OK, I was just going to get a couple of things. So I went over to the bag and I and I grabbed it. And I thought, right, I've got some stuff in here that she hasn't seen. So I took the bag back to the table and did 15 minutes for them. And well, you can see where this is going, can't you? 
at the end of that set she said right just one more table to go then and she took me over to that and she sat down again anyway I got to the end of my hour and I hadn't repeated a single trick and I felt quite pleased myself really and she said, well, listen, thank you very much, Mark. She said, that was marvellous. She said, and then she, with a little, uh, I felt a little glint in her eye. She said, I got my money's worth, didn't I? Meaning that she realised that she'd followed me around. And she said, do you know what the most impressive bit was? You didn't do um, a single trick more than once. That was, that was quite a surprise. So although I'd been doing it just because I thought she shouldn't see anything, she had actually noticed and then I was really, really glad that I hadn't repeated anything. So that was that was an unexpectedly tough hour, but actually a very rewarding one. Right, everybody. Well, that, that's the end of the first podcast for 2019. I hope you're going to have a great year ahead and, um, and that you'll be coming back on a regular basis, hopefully, to, uh, to listen to more of these podcasts. If there's ever any subject that you'd like me to talk about or any question you want answered or anything like that, I'm happy to consider it for the podcast. Just email it to me at magic at markleverage.co.uk and I'll be pleased to put it in if I feel that the listeners would like to hear it. So have a good month and I'll look forward to hopefully seeing some of you back here again in February. Bye for now.